Amen. How about a heartfelt uh, saying all together, God bless America. Uh-huh. God bless America. That is said so tritely these days, but we need to bless America more and more. Amen. Amen. We are in the midst of a series uh, entitled Connections, the DNA of Relationships. The DNA of Relationships. And uh, by the way, there are some postcards that are out on the Welcome Center. And if you'd like to pick a few of those up, love for you to invite a couple of friends, neighbors, anybody that you would like to come and participate in these Sundays as we go through June 12th. Uh, That gives us a couple more weeks of this particular series on the DNA of relationships. In particular today, uh, the title of today's message is True Friends. True Friends. I'm convinced that when we read the New Testament, we see a totally different picture of what commonly we refer to as community not meaning the community that we live in as in geographical or municipality, but the community of relationships that should be shared among people. When we read the New Testament, we see a group of people described in Acts 2 and afterwards as people whose lives are vitally connected. Maybe some of it was cultural. I I go to a lot of different parts of the country where um, I find that people's lifestyles are just are just interwoven and, and knit together. Um, I just returned uh, Friday night late from five days in uh, Santiago in Dominican Republic, uh, ministering there with uh, a YWAM base and did 15 hours of, of teaching and lecture on leadership to these young, uh, young people. And, um, uh, and it was great. And one of the things that I, that I took away was uh, some of you may not know as much about youth with a mission, but the way bases work is they live in community. In other words, they may have 25 people there in that base, but they all live in community. All right, it kind of back, beckons back to my hippie days. You know, I mean, it's just about living in community, and where basically they all share life together, they all do the meals together, and everybody shares the duties together, and everybody has a job, and they fight with one another, and then they love one another, and they, you know, they, this is living in true community. Now, we kind of loosely use that term today, but the truth of the matter is in the early church, they did it day in and day out. You look at the description in the book of Acts of how the early church operated, and it keeps using this word together, 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 together. And yet we live in a day in which the emphasis in our culture seems to be independence and isolation. But I really believe that the biblical model and actually God's desire for us is that we would live in healthy community, community with one another. And I really have a heart to see us return to that kind of normal Christian community. The word that is used in the original language for uh, when the believers gather together, uh, the word fellowship that we see in our English language, the word is koinonia. Everybody want to speak Greek today? Say koinonia. Yes, koinonia. It's translated community or it's translated other things, but it means the mutual sharing of life together. I really believe that God wants to speak to us. And many churches even, God help us, have superficial ideas of what this looks like. And uh, feel that, you know, just because there's, it becomes just a sociable courtesy or cordiality, it's almost nothing different than the neighborhood potluck or a Kiwanis club. But it's really to be something totally different than that. 
is to be marked by certain values, certain behaviors, certain characteristics. Thought it might be helpful to do just a very, very quick review on where we've been uh, in, in past week. And, uh, and so that you, if you missed uh, last week's message, you'll kind of know where we're at. We talked last week about the fact that God created us to have and to need relationships. Every one of us. No exception in the room. We also talked about the fact that there are different levels of relationship, and we need to be set free by that and not over uh, have unreasonable expectations of the number and the type of relationships that we have. Sometimes we think about it like this. There are three levels of relationship. There is the, there is the broadest level, which are simply acquaintances acquaintances. And most people, sociologists and psychologists tell us, most people have an average between 500 and 2,500 acquaintances, just people that you know. How many of you have acquaintances that you haven't talked in a long time, but if you saw them, you'd say, oh yeah, I know them. You know what I'm talking about? Those are simple acquaintances. Then the next level in would be called core relationships. And sociologists tell us that likely we're able to maintain, depending on the person, 20 uh, somewhere between 20 and 100 core relationships. And uh, then finally, there is the uh, inner circle, which would be considered the intimate relationships. Now listen, you don't have an intimate relationship with everybody in church. You can have core relationships as the church gets much larger than obviously those kind of circles shift. But you can have an intimate relationship with only a limited number of people. And uh, psychologists put the number somewhere between 1 and 10. The number of intimate relationships. And obviously we know that you have that with your husband, your wife, or your immediate family. We're talking beyond your family. Intimate relationships. There's a big difference between someone who is an intimate friend and someone that you just see at church and go, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Big difference. Am I right? And there's an intimate friend is something, a covenant, I, I call them covenant friendships. And it's something that all of us should long for and we should be intentional about building. And that is the third point that we want to review. And that is that true relationships and friendships that are meaningful and useful take some work, takes intentional effort. The scripture we used last week is Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37 uh, through 40, which I'll just read to you once again. Jesus replied, to the uh, scribes and those that were trying to entrap him. He said, this is, this is what it's all about. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then he added the second. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. These two commandments cover the whole range of relationships. Vertically, vertically with God, we need to have a healthy relationship with ourselves, and we need to have healthy relationships with others as our neighbor. Now, we want to talk today about some characteristics of true friendship. And I know I, each of these, frankly, could we could devote you know, 30 minutes to each of these. We don't have time. So I'm going to cover a lot of material, and I just uh, advise you about that ahead of time so that you're fully aware. Uh, I want to just make this statement before I give you the characteristics and tell you that biblical friendships, in other words, biblically-based, true Christian friendships, are different than the world knows. All right? So I understand that we, lose, we use that word loosely. And in our culture and society, people oh yeah, they're my friend. But, but I, want, I want to try to redefine friendship 
by understanding with biblical norms and biblical parameters. Because, uh, you know, we, that's what we believe. We believe we ought to live like the Bible. Someone say amen. We ought to act like it says in the Bible. Amen. We ought to love like it says in the Bible. Not the way society accepts today. Not just because it's in or out or cool or not cool. We ought to do it because that's what the Bible says. Amen. All right, good. We're on the same page. So let me give to you six characteristics. And these won't be radically new to you, but it's a good reminder. All right, number one. A friend is there when you need it. A friend is there when you need it. Now, there's a number of scriptures we could use to, to explain that, but one that I like is Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. It speaks broadly about relationships, and I'll read it to you. It simply starts off by, the proverb writer starts off by giving this wisdom. He says, two are better than one. Because, now he gives us the reasons. Because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls. For he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can you be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And he concludes by that well-known statement, a threefold cord is not easily broken. I'm so thankful that two are better than one. Try to do it alone. Try to go it alone, and you'll find yourself in a heap of trouble. We need to have true friends, and one of the characteristics of a true friend is when you really need it, they're present. They're available. They're a phone call away. They're only a, a, a brief drive down the road. Uh, but you'll, if someone's truly a friend and there's a crisis, there's a need, they're there when you need it. Amen? There are those of you in this room that I know. All I need to do is just send up a flare. And I know that you're there when we need it. And I think one thing that all of us need to learn to do is we need to tell our friends when we need help more often. You agree? Number two, a friend will lay down his life for you. You say, now wait a minute, Bobby. That's, that is a little extreme, isn't it? Well, the Bible tells us in John chapter 15, verse 13, it's speaking of Jesus, but listen to what it says. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Now, Jesus is setting a pretty high standard, wouldn't you agree? He was talking literally about laying down his physical life for his friends, but I think he applied it more generally. I think what that means is, if you're my friend, I'm willing to lay down my preferences for whatever yours is. I'm willing to put you ahead of me. I'm willing to take more of a servant posture rather than it's all about me. Jesus ultimately laid down his life for us, amen? He's our true best friend. Come on, y'all can do better than that. He's your true best friend. Amen. All right. But as a friend with one another and having these vital relationships, we, there's a sense in which we need to be sacrificial with one another. We're willing to lay down something and put someone else's needs ahead of ours. Amen? Amen. Number three. Number three. A friend loves unconditionally. A friend loves unconditionally. Proverbs 17, 17 says this. This is one of my favorite friendship scriptures. A friend loves at all times. A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for a time of adversity. True friendship, using biblical explanations, a true friend is someone who will love you regardless 
At the times that you're not lovable, and we all have those moments, right? When we're not lovely and not lovable, right? And we, we need to be able to know with those that we're friends, and this applies, I think, not only to intimate friendships, but in core relationships. We need to know within even a local church. We need to know that we're going to love one another unconditionally. That means I know that you're probably going to fall. You're going to do some stuff that's, that's not biblical, that's not Christian-like from time to time. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna go through some stuff that, that is, is going to make me go, oh my. But I need to be in a position that I'm going to love you unconditionally. You say, how can anyone love unconditionally? Because God is love. And he dwells within us. And he is, his agape love always loves without condition. It's unfailing. It's unconditional. It's always there. Aren't you glad God loves us unconditionally? So when we screw up, he still loves us. When we fall down, he still loves us. When we sin, he still loves us. He loved you even before you awakened to the fact that he loved you. He loved you. He loved us while we were yet sinners. And in rebellion against him, he loved us. He loves us unconditionally. So we're commanded and we're asked that one another we're to love one another in that same way that's a tough objective but it's a standard that we need to be familiar with we ought to love one another unconditionally by the way that doesn't mean we approve of all behavior doesn't mean we're acceptance of unholy behavior or, or we just ignore and blink our eye or moral impurity or, or whatever it may be. No, not at all. We can hold to very strong beliefs about what is right Christian behavior and right Christian language. But at the same time, if someone doesn't meet the standard, we love them. Amen? Number four. Number four. A friend is available for counsel and encouragement. Boy, this is so helpful to know. I like the scripture in Proverbs 27, 9 that says this, ointment and perfume delight the heart. How many of you like when, when, when someone comes and gives you a hug at church and they smell nice? Is that nice to you? Is that good? All right. Well, here, proverb writer actually compares it to that. He says, the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. Interesting. As friends, it's like sweet mel- a sweet-smelling a perfume. When we're there to, to counsel one another, and, and what it's really talking about is providing supportive conversations. Not just when we think of counsel, sometimes we think of someone with counselor, therapist written across their forehead. I'm here to listen to your problem. Please let me advise you. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the kind of relationship where you can say, you know, I don't know, Steve, I've just been struggling with this, man. What do you think? And you you say, you know, man, I've been there. I understand. And, and you know, I I tell you what, I've learned something. And I was so inspired yesterday and we had a wonderful men's uh, gathering yesterday morning and to listen to men uh, advising and supporting one another, even in a group of 35, they were sitting there saying, well, why don't you try this. And let me tell you something I've learned. I thought the wisdom of God was just flowing even between men that don't know each other all that well yet. But it was wonderful because that's what friends do. A friend is there to encourage you. How many of you recognize that from time to time you need some encouragement? And particularly those of you who are good encouragers, usually the good encouragers never get encouraged. You ever notice that? Those who are really gifted with encouragement think somehow everybody thinks, oh, well, he, you know, he'll never need encouragement. I mean, my gosh. I mean, look at that. And usually some of us that really work hard at encouragement, we're like starving on the inside for just a word of affirmation. Just a word of encouragement will do. Someone once said, I've never seen anybody die from too much encouragement. Is it true? 
Hebrews tells us in chapter 10 that that will always be a ministry. Anybody wants a ministry? Encouraging one another. It's everyone's ministry. Keep doing it. Encourage people. You say, well, how do I do that? Sometimes it's just a kind word. Doesn't have to be not insincere, not inauthentic, but a kind word. Just maybe it's a scripture. Maybe it's, you know, I've just been watching how you've been growing in your faith lately. I, I was encouraged on uh, Friday after uh, Friday morning, right before I hopped on my flight coming back from Dominican Republic this week. I sat there and they brought all 28 young people together that I've been teaching and investing in during the week. And uh, the leaders who are people that our church supports regularly as, as missionaries down there, Glenn and Rhoda said, well, all of y'all just come and circle Bobby. And they made me sit in, in the chair, and sometimes that can be a little bit, you know, like, oh, boy, I have to do this. And those kids just began to, in English and Spanish both, just began to pour out their hearts with words of affirmation, saying, this has meant, you've meant so much, you took the time, you know, the on and on and on. I won't tell all the stuff that they said. But my point was, they took the time to what? Encourage. We all need to be supported and encouraged by others. Sometimes it's more counsel, sometimes it's more words of encouragement. But we all need that. Number five, a friend speaks, pay attention to this one, please. A friend, a true friend, speaks and hears only a good report about their friends. I know we don't see this enough. Proverbs 17, 9 says this, he who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter will separate good friends. Have you ever noticed how gossip, talking, untamed tongues can immediately provide a division between people? Doesn't take a lot. All it takes is just repeating. You know, I heard, I heard this, I heard that. That's repeating something that doesn't need to be repeated. See, if I'm really a covenant friend, say Brent, I'll pick on Brent and Kelly today. So Brent and Kelly have been covenant friends of ours for many, many years. If you came to me and said, you know, I, I just, you know, I don't know the Lucys. I just, they just do this or they do this or, you know, that just really gets under my skin or, or they say something that's not a good report. It doesn't have to be evil, but just something that's not a good report. Now, what should I do? Ah, that's a tough test, isn't it? What should I do? Hmm? We struggle to know, oh, now we feel uncomfortable. Now someone's really saying an, a bad report about someone that I consider to be my covenant friend. Now, in no way does that mean I think the Lucys lived perfect lives. Pretty close, but not perfect <laughs> lives. I should not allow someone to bring a bad report to me about friends and vital relationships. And if they do, I should actually, if Steve did that, Steve said, well, I just, you know, he was saying that about, he wouldn't do that. That's why I can pick on him. So if Steve were to say that about Brent and Kelly, I'd say, brother, I really, I really don't think that that report that you just gave me is edifying. And I don't receive it. And if you've got an offense with Brent, here's what you do. Go write it on Facebook. <laughs> right? No. No. Please, no confrontations on Facebook, all right? Go one-on-one -on -one to Brent and get it worked out. In other words, I'm not willing to receive your comments about Leander and Lori. I'm sorry. I'm not hearing it. 
Not only that, I shouldn't speak it, nor should I hear it. And if we'd start standing firm on those kinds of relational protocols that simply the Word of God, my gosh, we'd walk in more unity, wouldn't we? Amen. Number six, friends follow the one another's. I know you're thinking, what is he talking about? I wish I had a whole message to dedicate to this, but I don't, the way that we've got this series packed in. So I'm going to do these very quickly because they won't be shocking to you. I want to talk to you about some one another's. These are from the New Testament. By the way, I went through and counted this week just to, to verify. 59 incidences in the New Testament where it says that we're to do this to one another or this to one another. 59. You'd have to be blind. You'd have to be spirit. I mean, just totally out of it, not to understand that if you step back and read the New Testament, you say there's 59 different verses that talk about do this to one another, do this to one another, do this to one another. And I'm just going to give you 10 this morning. So relax. Because okay. some of them are repetitive. All right. How in the world are we to obey the New Testament outside of the context of close community. Jerry, how do we do that? It assumes, stay with me, those one another's in the New Testament assume something. It assumes I'm in community. Otherwise, I wouldn't have the opportunity to forbear with you. I wouldn't have the opportunity to, to stir you up to love and good works. Why? Because I do my thing, you do your thing, we happen to run each other on Sundays and say, oh, hi, praise the Lord. We go our own way, we don't get involved in small groups, we don't get too involved in people's lives, and I'm able to do my thing, you're able to do your thing, and I can just... That's not the way God planned it. And the whole assumption of the New Testament is we're living in community with a group of people, whether it's 50, whether it's 500, I don't care, but we've got to find our Christian connection, our spiritual extended family, if you will. And then the one another's make sense. So let's just review them very quickly. Before I do, I'll give you one quick illustration because I don't have time to illustrate all these. Um... There's a historical icon moment, uh, iconic moment that just deserves repeating here. And I know I have limited time and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll be fine. I may give a five minute extension today. In 1947, many of you know the story. You've seen movie reviews of it. Uh, the very first African-American baseball player to play in the big leagues was Jackie Robinson. Uh, he was breaking the racial barriers in that club, if you will, of white baseball, major league baseball players. He was playing with the Brooklyn Dodgers. And uh, the Brooklyn Dodgers, this particular year, 1947, developed a really good team. And on the team was a shortstop named Pee Wee Reese. I'm old enough to actually remember when Pee Wee Reese used to be a commentator, uh, not play, but when he was a commentator. And... Um, but I heard the story later uh, when I grew, grew up. I heard the story about Pee Wee Reese and Jackie Robinson. And it always struck me as an incredible example of, of real friendship and what true friendship ought to be like. I, I have nothing to 
I have no reference point regarding their Christian values, but the lesson is still works. Uh, there was a particular time, and, and you have to understand that every, every ballpark that uh, the Jackie Robinson was playing in, he was getting abused. And uh, other than Brooklyn, even there it was a divided crowd. So uh, because of racism and other things, they were like, ah! and Cincinnati, they're playing a game in Cincinnati, and uh, it got particularly bad. And even when they were just warming up, people were yelling, you know, uh, racial slurs and, and, and cussing and saying things and throwing things towards uh, any time they could toward Jackie Robinson. And um, so right before the game started, um, when they took the field, the Brooklyn Dodgers took the field, the boos and the, and the rants became so intense, it got like, you know, one of those situations where you're like, this is uncomfortable. It's really awkward. What do we do here? And it was so loud. They were, they were in another of the team's field, got so loud, and the Cincinnati Red players, by the way, were not helping. They were a part of this. They were yelling all of these really mean things. So I don't know, how would you feel if you were Jackie Robinson? So you're standing out there just trying to mind your own business at first base. And Pee Wee Reese was playing, I can't remember, was Jackie Robinson first second base? Someone knows here. I, I knew someone would correct me. They'd come to me later and correct me. So let's just get it done now. All right, second base. I'll get it right in 11 o'clock service. So he's playing second base. Pee Reese is playing shortstop. So in the midst of all this booing, Pee Reese walks over to where Jackie Robinson's standing on his side of second base, and he just puts his left arm around his shoulder like this. Just stood there. Now, Pee Reese was highly regarded and respected. Everybody liked you know, really he's a great ball player. He just put his arm, and he just stood there for a while. Didn't say anything. Wasn't like some public service announcement. Just stood there with his arm around Jackie until the booze died down. When the booze and the rants died down, Pee Wee Reese went back to where his, his position was, and the ump said, play ball. I think that is an iconic example of what real friendship is all about. So let's look at the one another's very quickly here from the New Testament. Number one, love one another. I've given just a few passages I need. I won't read all of these. Love one another. We all know that the Bible says we ought to love one another. Love one another. As simple and as sometimes it's overly stated, but the meaning and the significance always should speak to us. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, John 13, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you would also love one another. Number two, live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony with one another. Romans tells us, accept one another. By the way, I wish I had time to digress on this. It's beautiful, the word for accept. It's the word that just means open-armed reception. It means grace, a grace-based acceptance. I receive you by grace. I accept you. Some of us are just hurting to be accepted. And real true friends accept one another. Number four, we're to serve one another. Galatians 5.13 says, For brethren, you've been called to liberty only. Don't use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. Well, to follow his example, and try serving one another. It's not all about you. Number five, bear one another's burdens. How many of you have burdens today? 
From time to time, we all carry them around. We all have baggage. But the scripture says you're to, with those that you're in relationship with, you're to help carry. That means take some of the load off them. Now, that doesn't mean for you to get anxious. That means for you to help lighten their load. Sometimes that's through prayer. Sometimes it's through just sharing. Sometimes it's just through being available. We're to help bear one another's burdens. Number six, forgive one another. The scripture says, kind of covers a lot of ground, but in verse 32 of Ephesians 4, Paul says, and be kind to one another. Do you know Christians are not always kind to one another? Tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Confess your faults to one another, James tells us, James 5. Confess your faults. That's a, a level of authentic admission to say, Josh, man, I've just been, pray for me, man. This week, I had serious attitude issues. Would you pray for me this week, man? I need help. Confess your faults one to another. Number eight, pray for one another. Pray for one another. That after someone's confessed their fault to you, it'd be very, very appropriate to do that, wouldn't it? But also beyond that, just pray for one another. How often do you pray for your friends by name? How often do you actually list names of those at, at least in your family and in your intimate circle? How often are those names mentioned before God? Offer hospitality, number nine, to one another. Offer hospitality to one another. I like how the scripture adds, without grumbling. First Peter 4, 9. You are to be hospitable to one another, but without grumbling. How many of y'all would confess, sometimes we, we, we're hospitable because someone said, would you prepare a meal because we need a meal for so-and-so, and they just had it, this, and I, oh, yeah, I'll do it. And then we go, I can't believe, man, I'm having, not only am I having to cook my own family, I'm having to cook for so-and-so, I just can't believe it. Well, then just forget it, all right? Just forget it. Offer hospitality one another, how? Without grumbling. I love that. And number 10, we'll stop there, submit to one another. Paul tells, um, in the context, talking about husbands and wives, but he's really talking about relationships in general. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And Charles and Sonia, new in our church, I, they're neighbors down the street from where we live. I, I need to as I'm, we're building a relationship, but I want to have a submissive attitude towards them. That means my way isn't the only way. It means putting someone else over me. Submit. It means to fit up under. Submit. You don't just submit to authority figures. We submit to one another. It's not all about position. It's not all about protocol. And it's about submitting to about one another and God-given relationships. Um. Don't have time for those stories I want to tell you. So I'm going to close with this. I'm going to give you three steps to building healthy friendships. Number one and the most important. If you haven't already, meet the best friend you can possibly have. His name is Jesus Christ. Proverbs 18, 24 says it this way. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother and it doesn't say it there in proverbs but i'll tell you and his name is jesus if you don't have that relationship you can meet your best friend today number two make yourself friendly 
I'm always amazed at the number of people who say, you know, I just don't have, a, I'm lonely and I don't have enough friends and I just wish I had, you know, when I look at my circles, I, you know, it's pretty blank. I just filled with blanks. You know what one of the best words of encouragement I give and give, can give you is? Be friendly. If we crawl in a hole, if we get insulated and isolated and we just bury ourselves in our own issues and ourselves, and then we walk around saying, I'm having a pity party because no one really cared. No one at all reached out to me today. What about you reaching out? What about you taking initiative? What about you finding someone in your neighborhood that actually needs something? What about you for a change being friendly? And I guarantee you, the more friendly you are, the more friends you will have and attract. They'll come to you like bees come to honey. And finally, number three, just be a true friend to others and practice those one another's, those characteristics that we talked about. We're going to close with prayer. But I hope that this morning you have grabbed a hold of some of these important understandings and principles about what the Lord sees as the way that we ought to live in community. In 1974, I'd just come back from spending almost uh, a year and a half overseas uh, working as a missionary in Eastern Europe. Came back and I made a decision that I didn't want to move back home with my parents. I mean, at a certain point, you know. So uh, I'm like, gosh, I just want to be on my own. I don't want to have to go back home. So I decided to find some brothers. And we created a house. It was just a house, a basement, actually, of a house that we rented. And, you know, at that age, you can stuff a bunch of friends in, in you know, in an apartment. And uh, so I invited two or three guys. Then they invited two or three guys. We ended up with 10 to 12 young men, about all the same age, all of us somewhere around early 20s. And we rented this place, and it wasn't out of saving money. We wanted to, oh, we got to find some convenient way. It was out of one. Our passion was we want to find some guys that we can just learn to live together for Jesus. And we feel like we can do it better if we're in community and not just trying to be on our own. Made that decision in 1974. I can't tell you that the years that I spent in that, not uh, in no way compared to my wonderful relationship with Carrie, but pre-marriage, they were the most wonderful years that I had. You know why? It wasn't that we didn't fight. We fought frequently. We argued about everything from someone burned the toast. I mean, there was all kinds of stuff. But we were in community. And it was truly a spiritual high for us. So I just want to challenge you, wherever you're at, make a decision today to take a step deeper into true community and find some true friends and be friendly. Would you stand to your feet? I want to ask our prayer teams to come forward at this time. There are those of you who have things that need to be ministered to. We had a wonderful time of praise and worship this morning, but still there may be some areas that you need specific prayer and agreement in. I want you, and don't hesitate to come and ask one of these prayer teams to pray with you. They're trained to pray with you and to agree for whatever point of need you may have. Maybe you have not made Jesus your best friend yet. All it takes is a step of faith. Say, Jesus, I choose you. I'll give my life to you. Forgive me for my sins, and I'm following after you. No matter what it is, after Denise comes and she's just going to declare blessing over you as we close today, but I want you to feel free to come and let someone pray with you. And um, sorry we went 
eight minutes over today, but was it worth it? Okay, we'll do it again. In Hallelujah. Denise, come. Bless us as we leave. I just pray this week that you would be like trees firmly planted by streams of living water, that your roots would go deep and that you would experience wells erupting and bursting out of your life in the spirit, that you would be overflowing this week with his love. I pray that your relationships with, with others would be blessed. You would have friendships and that your relationship with Jesus would be rich and full. God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.